Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Now, it's been two weeks since we've done a journal. It has. So you'd think I'd have a bunch, but... I have seen a bunch of movies, mm-hmm. but we'll be talking about those on the, or I'll be talking about those on the Sundance wrap up episode, which you are uh, taking, taking a sabbatical on. I'm going to be uh, busy reading about digital humanities. What is it? Nobody actually knows, including my instructor. It's a fun thing. Um, okay. So, uh, that'll be going on. Um, uh, so I haven't seen them much before that. My mom was visiting, mm-hmm. so I didn't have much time to watch movies. Had a lot of fun with okay. my mom. We did all kinds of fun stuff. Um, Thanks for inviting uh, me along. <laughs> I know your mom. She's nice. Yeah, she did hang out with uh, Scott and and his and Julie. <laughs> we went to we went to trivia together. Huh. <laughs> um, right. I guess I was busy watching the Vikings get destroyed. Yeah. Uh, in football. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I haven't. I watched the. Uh, I watched one playoff game. I watched the Rams game, and they mm-hmm. lost. And then I was like, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, did find time at Sundance to watch a um, uh, Montreal Canadiens Washington Capitals hockey game <laughs> for two hours. <laughs> not that I, I'm not even an East like my my teams in the Western Conference. I don't care about that, but like I had time to kill, and like yeah. the Gus Van Sant movie didn't start till nine forty five. And it was like the second day, so I was already caught up on reviews. And I was like, I'm just going to sit here and drink beer and watch this hockey game, and then I'll go watch the Gus Van Sant movie. That sounds kind of um, nice, actually. Yeah, it was uh, very nice. Um, anyway, so, I, I, so I've only, I only have one movie to talk about. You have seven. I have seven, yes. And then I don't have any television to talk about. Do you have anything? I do not. Okay, no. good, because I'm not caught up on Amazing Race. Neither am I. Um, but, uh, or, or The Good Place. But anyway... Um, my buddy, uh, my buddy Tyler Stracely, uh, wrote, I believe last week's episode of the good place. Oh, that one's getting so, a lot of, uh, pub. It is. So I can't wait to watch it. It's on, on the old DVR. Uh, so why don't you kick us off? All right. So I, I caught up on, I mean, I've been catching up on some 2017 movies, uh, mostly for the beepies. Uh, the, the time nom- to do it. What are you going to do? Go see 12 strong. You can go see Den of Thieves. I might see Paddington too. Actually, that okay. that one is a priority. But um, no, uh, so I I did see uh, Ben and Joshua Safdie's. Is that how you say? Yeah, Safdie's Good Time. No, I Good Time. A, I, I like need to, to address. Okay, my feelings on this movie because apparently I wasn't clear. Okay, when we talked about this on the last movie journal or two movie journals ago, because our friend Scott took me to task for not liking the movie, which isn't what I said. Okay, but not what I meant. I like the movie quite a bit. I had some questions while I was watching it mm-hmm. about to what extent am I supposed to identify with this monster? <laughs> um, okay, but yes. I came to a point where I was like, okay, I, I don't need to like the guy, and I ended up liking the movie quite a bit. In fact, it has one of my top five favorite shots of any movie. Now, which shot is that? It's the shot of the, uh, uh, dye pack stained money going through the bail bondsman's, uh, cash counter. Yeah. I keep coming back to that shot. It's It's very cool. Uh, Anyway, so good time. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I'm right there with you. Like the, it's, it's very difficult. It's not unlike uh, raging bull for me and that like, I'm watching a very well put together movie that's really wonderfully acted and I'm hating every single second of it. <laughs> uh, you know, that's not the fault of the film. Um, I could be a little bit angry at the filmmakers feeling for feeling the need to tell the story. At least Jake Lamato is actually a real person. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but of course it's still, I mean, it's Mar, it's, 
marvelously made and it's very surreal at times uh-huh. like when they have to go into this weird carnival and yeah, it's poor like, Barkat Abdi is running around yeah. and there's like a long time at the carnival yeah <laughs> I thought oh this will be a fun pit stop and then it's like yeah. a huge part of the like uh, the I don't know would, it, would you would that, would that be the end of the second act or the beginning of the third act I think it's the end of the second I'd say end of the second yeah um, and you know Robert Pattinson is uh, you know the moment, not to imply he was ever this, but what I will say is that definitively, like whenever it was, he decided, you know what? I don't care about being a movie star. Uh-huh. That's, and I'm going to play whatever I got to play. So you get him in the Rover, you get him in Cosmopolis where at least he, he's like cleaned up and he still mm-hmm. looks good and all that kind of thing, but he's a very unlikable person. Um, the and then something like Zed. this. Like, yes, in which he's got this big, and it looks like a great bushy beard. Yeah, it looks like Torgo, um, <laughs> right? Doesn't I he? don't know who that is. Oh, Torgo from uh, Man of the Hands of Fate. Oh, I've never seen that. Oh, that's unfortunate. Um, yeah, there was a. Um, uh, I think it was uh, Screen Crush. I can't remember. It was Matt Singer put out a, a list of like the best bad movies, like the twenty five best bad movies, oh, yeah. and I was like. I took a lot of I took a personal pride in the fact that I'd only seen like four of them because I think I I don't like watching movies that everyone tells me are bad. No, I don't either. Uh, unless, of course, it's an MST3K situation. I've never seen Man of the Hands of Fate on its own. Right. I've never seen I? Mitchell on its own or whatever. Yeah, of course not. Yeah. Although I might enjoy it. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, and so it's a, it's a visually gorgeous movie it's very uh it's very engaging the the issue and it's not it's not a fault of the film it's that i don't like spending time with this person and in many ways it reminds me of a more intense version of bottle rocket which is also a movie i don't like Uh and when people or sorry a movie i don't enjoy um maybe it's the same thing i don't know but um but i remember uh over on more than one lesson, one of my co-hosts, Robert is a, is a big Wes Anderson fan and he and I've gone back and forth on bottle rocket. And one of the things that I say is like, I have a hard time watching oafs, not to imply, <laughs> not to imply that like Owen Wilson or, or Robert uh, Pattinson are like oafish, but just like, just, they're just these dim bulbs and I'm just supposed to be on uh, with them. Even I can't even laugh at them because I'm so frustrated with them all the time. Yeah. They're the kind of people that you and I have been trying to avoid since high school. Exactly. Right. And yet somehow <laughs> n- now because some people nominated him for a BP, now I got to <laughs> spend two hours with this guy. Um, I will say that that last scene is incredibly effective and you know, I, it's something I've said before, even if I don't a hundred percent agree with it, that a, a movie is about how it ends. You know, this is the note it wants you to, it, it's the note it's going out on it. What it's, it wants you to think of this as mm-hmm. you're leaving the theater as you know, whatever it is. And uh, because I don't want to spoil it. I won't say what it is, but like it brought a tear to my eye. Um, and it was just a really nice, and there's a little bit of redemption for the Robert Pattinson character. Um, even if it's just other people talking about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I liked that quite a bit and, uh, it was almost enough to get me to like rethink the whole movie. It's still, I, I, I won't speak ill of the movie. It's just not a, it was so stressful and so unpleasant. Uh, and I'm sure, yes, the title is good time and it's not meant to be a good time. Yeah, I get it. Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it's a good movie. I just, I don't know. I feel like I'd have a hard time recommending it to anybody. Yeah. It'll be a long time before I watch it again. Yeah. 
Um, all right. What's next? You gotta, you gotta keep going. You gotta, that's true. Next up, I watched a movie for, for a class that I'm no longer enrolled in. Um, you hate the movie that much. Actually, kind of. <laughs> and yet I also think it's pretty good. Uh, Billy Jack. Have you seen Billy Jack? No, I have the Blu-ray. I haven't watched it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It is death wish by way of easy rider. Let that sink in. Uh-huh. Maybe the most insufferable kind of movie. Um, I, you know, I've never seen a death wish movie. I saw the first one when I was younger and I thought it was awesome. Of course. Um, yeah, but, uh, at this Looking point, forward to the, uh, Eli Roth, uh, Bruce Willis one. That comes of course up? not. <laughs> How could I be? <laughs> Although okay. I guess you like Eli Roth more than I do. I like hostile and you like cabin fever. Oh yeah. I do like cabin. Fever. Yeah. I didn't. Um, but I honestly don't think I've seen anything since then that he's made. Cause I didn't see knock, knock. I saw, I didn't see green. Inferno. I saw green Inferno. Yeah. I know what he's doing <laughs> and it's, you know, Hey, good for you. Yes. You're very 1970s. Let's move on. Um, but no, uh, Billy Jack, it's it, this guy, Tom Laughlin, who directed it and stars as Billy Jack. He, I looked him up on Wikipedia. That guy is a piece of work. Uh, I have to assume talking to him for longer than five seconds would be the most miserable experience in the world. But he put together a very interesting film. Um, that is, it deals with, a, there's a lot of hippie stuff in there and not even in a way that I'm okay with, uh, which is admittedly not much, but I, I can deal with it if it's, if it's okay. Uh, but there are extended sequences where like we spend time at like a, a, a hippie school. And so like, Oh, they're putting on scenes and it's like, Oh, the actors themselves are improvising hippies improvising. Can you imagine <laughs> anything worse? Um, but and you see a, a very young uh, Howard Hessman, which is at least fun oh, yeah. to see. That's fun. Um, but, uh, and it's, you know, there's this small town, just, you know, the, the school is outside this small backwards, I don't know if it's Southern, but this small town. And some of those characters are, you know, terrible. Uh, but the sheriff character is actually remarkably well-rounded. I liked that a lot, but, um, I just thought I knew what I was going to get. And for the most part I did because, the hippie characters are all like, you know, peace and love and that sort of thing. But then Billy Jack, who is also a part of that and is also half native American, even though if, I don't know if the, if Tom Laughlin is, but, um, Lachlan, I don't know how you say his name. Um, but he decides eventually that he's just going to, he's going to kill all of these, all of these, uh, rednecks who have, who admittedly have done some terrible things. Um, and as I was watching, that, I was just like, okay, so wait a minute. What are you saying here, movie? Are you saying that you, violence is terrible when it's the other people doing it, but when you're doing it, it's fine? Uh, and then, much to my surprise, this woman that uh, kind of has a, an odd relationship with Billy Jack, she points out that exact thing. Hmm. And she says, this is not what we're supposed to be about. And so I thought like, all right, movie, you're kind of aware of your own potential hypocrisy. And in doing so, calling out the hypocrisy of people who might feel a great deal of vindication watching Billy Jack uh, hurt and kill these people. And I felt like at that last moment, it kind of saved itself. And I actually think it's a remarkably mature film. (laughs) Um, It's 
So it's not bad. And for a while it was like the highest grossing, like independent film of all time. Like it was made for a few hundred thousand bucks and made millions of like really tapped into something at the time. Um, and then there is a theme with you today. Movies redeeming themselves at the end for you. Kind of. Yeah. Uh, let's see if there are any others. Hang on. (laughs) Uh, I'm trying to think of an example of, Oh, there's one in which it goes the other way. I, that I see that I can think of plenty of examples of movies sure. that I've liked that have been ruined by their endings. Sure, but I'm trying to think of movies that have been saved by their endings for me. I can't. But we have we done an episode on endings? We, we have. We, we have. Okay. Because um, yeah. this year uh, there were two movies that came out in 2017 that I like despite their endings, uh, and that's the Florida Project and Foxtrot. Okay. Um, which uh, I guess I'll, I'll stay tuned to see if you've seen those yet. Next up for me, the Florida project. Um, <laughs> Is it really? Yes. Oh, awesome. And I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I like it despite its ending here. You know what? Here's the thing. This speaks to, uh, where I am right now in my academic mindset Plus, I've also been getting a little, a bit more work as a uh, script consultant these days, so oh. I'm also thinking in those terms. That's exciting. Um, that last little montage, if it's 30 seconds longer, it works better. Oh, you think? Okay. I think that's it. Like, it starts so fast and then it's over so fast in a film that is a little bit, that's pretty languid at times. Yeah. I feel like it's so jarring and then it's over. Like, if you give us 30 more seconds, you can have the same thing, the same pacing, 30 more seconds, I think, and that gives me enough time to get it, what it is they're doing, process it, then it's over. I feel like that would have saved that ending and it's not a terrible ending it's just I, yeah i think it's i wonder if that's if i would feel that way if it were longer I mean, yeah we had to dance around because i know a lot of yeah. people still haven't seen the movie but i feel like there's there's two things a it's not really an ending <laughs> you know it's a sidestep <laughs> yeah yeah and b i feel like here's something something that i think uh stuck in my craw a little more the for people who don't know about the florida project the premise is that it's people who live at a sort of um uh, a, a motel that people have, you know, poor people in very bad states of poverty have long time residence in long term residence in this this motel, um, and it's down the road from Disney World in mm-hmm. Orlando, the Magic and, Kingdom specifically. Um, okay, I don't know enough about that, sorry. but um, my, I felt like the movie felt a certain way about the whole Disney thing up until the end. And then it's like, it, 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 in terms of the movie's relationship to the Disney thing, yeah, I don't feel like that ending gels with what I thought the movie was saying, or very yeah. pointedly not saying a lot of the time about yeah. Disney. Yeah, I do feel like, okay, I, I, I will add something to that. They're like, if that ending is 30 seconds longer, and if you have, let's say, two brief moments in which Mooney expresses interest right yeah. throughout the film. You have that. Yeah. I and that ending part, works, part of works why better. It, why it's so weird to me is that they, yeah, they never really address, or at least the kids never really address Disney in the movie. Right. And then it becomes a part of the ending. Anyway, we're saying too much about the ending. Yeah. I think. So, um, and it is unfortunate because that's the thing. Most people I know say like, this movie is great. If only, uh-huh. the last few seconds of it. Uh, if only they were different. Yeah. Um, and it does feel it's still, I won't going to end up with being one of my favorite movies. Of the year, yeah. So. It's in my top 10 right now as yeah. well. But, but very much in, I would say in spite of the ending, it's not a bad ending. It's just, 
ill-conceived, I think is, mm-hmm. is the way I'd put it. But up until then, it's just a beautifully shot, wonderfully imagined film with characters that I enjoy spending time with, even when I'm frustrated with them, like Mooney's mother. Um, I think Willem Dafoe deserves every accolade he's going to get. Although I guess not the Oscar as we all thought he was going to, he still could. Um, but it's probably going to be Sam Rockwell. At this oh, point. I see what you're saying. Yeah. He, um, he did get, I was like, wait, did he not get nominated? No, he got nominated. Yeah. Just, yeah. But he was like the front runner for a while. And I guess that's going away, but, uh, and it's just, and it's also just really nice to see him in that mode, which we don't get to see very much, which is just kind of an everyman. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm hung up on the, the Oscar. I, I don't care who wins the Oscar except for within our, uh, you know, sure. draft thing. Yeah. Oh, you'll do very but, well with Sam Rockwell, but I feel like, I feel like a big part of the surge for three billboards is people lumping it in with the righteous anger of women thing that's going on in the culture. Sure. Which is, which is stupid to me because that's not, it's not actually that movie. That's not what the three, what three billboards is. Or is it? I don't think it knows what it is. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. A good point. It's everything. Yeah. It's everything. The motion picture. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, that's what's so frustrating about it is that, and I don't think it's calculated either. I th- where like you can look at that movie and project whatever you want onto it, but I don't think that's by design. I think he's yeah. just he just lacked focus. Um, but anyway, back to Florida Project. Yeah, um, and then you know what? Hey, right when I was earlier having wa- a few weeks ago having watched Get Out, right when I was about to declare Caleb Landry Jones as my least favorite actor, he turns in this wonderful, nuanced, yeah. realistic performance. And it's like, all right, I want, I'm sure he's just absorbing what Defoe is doing in that moment and probably Sean Baker working with him. But like in that moment, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm actually looking forward to what, what Caleb Landry, Caleb Landry Joe's hand has for me in the future. Um, but yeah, it's just such a, such a beautiful movie in every, in every mm-hmm. sense. Um, and I will say incidentally, so listeners know it's on hold at the moment until I'm done with school, but Jen and I are working towards like doing the foster to adopt thing. Uh, and part of our training is learning like how to, how to deal with and think about birth parents mm-hmm. because some of the, some of them have done horrible things, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, and some of them just weren't able to do what they needed to do. And th- it is better for the kid to be away from them. And it's very easy to condemn the birth parents and you can condemn their actions. But, uh, they said like, the day is going to come. Like, let's say it moves beyond fostering and you do adopt the kid and let's say they're a teenager and they start to, and they start to run down their birth parent or they start to ask you like, what did they do? Like you could feel temptation to really rip into Mm -hmm. their birth parent. If for no other reason than because like, well, all right, this is going to put me in solid. Um, (laughs) and it's like, and you need to resist that. Like, yeah, it sounds like it would probably backfire too. uh, Probably. Yes. Um, but yeah, like you can't, you can't sit in judgment of, of people again. Like if somebody molests their kid, then yes. Okay. You can judge that. But like the character of, of Haley in Florida project is somebody who's deeply frustrating regularly, but her love for her daughter and her desire to take care of her daughter is not in question. Mm -hmm. Um, and so uh, when I finished the movie, I, I emailed our handlers, not the right word, uh, agent, 
our agent or whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it and said like, Hey, you should see this movie because I feel Mm -hmm. like it's a nice representation of what we've been talking about in these classes. And so, uh, you know, my, my wife's a children's social worker. Oh, sure. She does for a living. And she was like the social workers who do show up in that. She was like, they are not good at their jobs. No, (laughs) they they handle that situation all wrong. All wrong. What's funny is, uh, to me, I, I don't know what if this is what Natalie, my wife, uh, meant by this, but she didn't. She never said no social worker would act like that. What she said is those are bad social workers. <laughs> yeah. So maybe they they oh, would act like undoubtedly that. <laughs> you've seen it. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's the thing. Like it's a film that made me feel such. You know, unlike I would say, Good Time, uh, and that's not again not to put down Good Time, but like it's a film that made me so badly want the characters that are frustrating me to do the right thing. Whereas with good time, just like, I don't want to be with this person, uh-huh. you know? And so like Florida project just cre- just created nothing but empathy for me, uh, with these characters. And I just really, and Mooney is just a delight. That scene, yeah. the, uh, the, the buff- more, the morning breakfast buffet scene is so delightful, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And the, well, the ice cream scene, uh, yeah. which is, I don't know if you've seen the trailer. It's like uh, the first, I've not. the first half of the trailer is just the ice cream in the lobby scene. <laughs> so funny. Um, but yeah, Sean Baker is really good at with tangerine and this, like, making movies about a segment of the population where you expect the movie to be depressing and it's yeah. not because yeah. he's so humanistic. Um, anyway, yeah, uh, I agree that Willem Dafoe is great. I do. A part of me, which like thinks the just the fact that he's a more established actor is keeping Bria Vanate, who plays Haley from getting more attention. Cause she's, she's, she's great. I there's mean, there's no, there's no, uh, to use your term, there's no, uh, seeing the strings. Uh, not at, at all. all. Yeah, not at all. Um, uh, and she has, you know, she's a very new, you know, she was like a Instagram celebrity essentially. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Okay. Uh, yeah, apparently I, I, I saw an interview with Sean, Sean Baker where he kept like, someone had sent like, Hey, like just check out this woman on Instagram. This seems like something you'd like. And he did. And they kept saying when they were casting, the Florida project, he kept saying, I want someone like this Instagram girl. And then eventually someone else was like, why don't you just see if she'll do it? Yeah. And that's apparently how, how, how it happened. She did um, great. And that's the, the character and, has a lot of charisma and she has a scene like, you know, she's a new actress. Willem Dafoe has obviously been acting for decades and she has a scene that's a big confrontation confrontation with him. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, it, I don't know what it said. Like she clearly wasn't intimidated by his experience right. or, or a statue. Cause yeah, it's a, that's one of the highlight scenes of the, of the movie for me. And I think it shows an understanding on his part of who his character is that he might be in a position of authority, but that doesn't mean he is authoritative. Mm-hmm. And so even when in that con- confrontation, when he really has way more power than she does, Defoe doesn't overplay that, yeah. you know, cause that's just not who this character is. Um, one of the reasons that I, yes, I agree with you that like Oscars really, they don't really matter that much. Um, one of the reasons that I would like to see Willem Dafoe win isn't merely because, Hey, it'd be cool if Willem Dafoe won an Oscar. It's also like, I want performances like this to win. Right. Um, right. Sam Rockwell is the best part of three billboards. I think he does some really great work, but we've seen characters like we've seen performances like that win before, but like we don't see, you know, as you know, my big, the one I always point at, which didn't win is Robert Forster and Jackie Brown. Mm -hmm. Like, very small in a film with a lot of big performances and I was just thrilled that they nominated him. Yeah. You know, and in the same way, like that's, that's the 
type of character that Willem Dafoe reminds me of in Florida Project. So if mm-hmm. they gave it to him, that'd be awesome on a few levels. But anyway, yeah. okay. So right. am I talking about one more? One more, and then I'll get to talk about one. All right. This is the first time I have seen this film. Okay. Jane Campion's The Piano. Oh, I haven't seen it in a long time. I, uh, I saw it in the class that I am uh, TAing for, and I really uh, enjoyed it. I knew to expect... This is also not a film I particularly enjoy, um, because, like, first off, like, I've been to New Zealand. It looked a lot better than that. You know? <laughs> uh, just, it's just muddy and crappy, and uh, no thank you. But, um, but the performances are, you know, it's visually gorgeous, you know, wonderful costume design, wonderful art direction, all that sort of thing. Um, these really uh, striking images of, like, just that piano just sitting on the beach there, mm-hmm. like... Um, Good performances all around. I think it's, you know, I think I have a very clear idea, as most people probably do. Um, I have a very clear idea of who Harvey Keitel is as an actor. Mm -hmm. Uh, I view him as a fairly limited actor. uh, And that, like, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to play the King of England or anything like that. Um, and so like, he's like, he does an accent in this and I think he does it as well as he is able to do it. But emotionally, yeah, he hits all the beats he needs to. And I, I thought he was effective. Yeah. I, I see what you're coming from calling him. Limited, that's not, but that then sometimes shitty. He, he'll do something like youth, which is not a yeah. Harvey Keitel type at all. Yeah. And he's great. Yeah. I think he's, it's just one of those things that like, specifically in like how he talks and his cadence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to do like Daniel day Lewis where like, Oh wait, the guy from, uh, gangs of New York is also Abraham. Like what? Like, yeah, I see you right. doesn't, has never disappeared into a role. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, you mean to tell me, no, you're not going to, you're not going to get that. Um, you know, I th- um, you're not doing the Sundance episode. So I'll tell you now, I thought of Harvey Keitel. I thought of last temptation of Christ in general, when I was watching the new Armando Iannucci movie, the death yes, of Stalin. I read your review. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Because they, everyone keeps their accents. Uh, and it's, it's was it jarring it's at first or were you just kind of fine with it? Uh, it was, I guess it was jarring for a second because not because of the Americans like Steve Buscemi and and Jeffrey Tambor, but I think because of the Cockney stuff. Oh, <laughs> That's okay. the stuff that really threw me. Yeah, because uh, um, usually, I mean, because uh, even in the opening scene in the, the Death of Stalin, which we'll talk about in the Sunday thing, it's P- Patty Considine talking like Patty Constantine, and he's sort of like, okay, he's talking in English, but we've seen a lot of like period pieces with English actors talking with English accents, but it's not until you get to the party leaders mm-hmm. and they're like just swearing up a storm and all cockney <laughs> this and that uh, that's when it really uh, uh, clicked for me that sounds fun it's such a good movie you're, um, you're gonna love it oh I have no doubt all right sorry, um, go ahead. but uh, yeah and so I thought I you know I thought Harvey Keitel was really effective in, a, in the type of role I don't I don't think of when I think of him I think it's actually very inspired casting uh, Sam Neill you know uh, he's an actor that I feel like I I've seen him a lot, but I feel like he doesn't often make a huge impression on me because he's a fairly, not that he's a limited actor, not that he's a bad actor, but I think there's a certain, so, uh, like a softness to him. Like he's very soft spoken. Like he, he's like, even when he's the lead, like in Jurassic park, like he's content to like, just be kind of quiet and let these larger characters kind of overtake. And I don't think that's a, that's a problem. And his character in this is is that as well. And what's particularly fun about the way that I watched it, um, I watched it with 250 
not merely 18 and 19 year olds, but very mm-hmm. few of them were, were film students. And, you know, Sam Neill's character, like just keeps getting rejected and by all, and he really does just seem like kind of a nice guy. And so there's kind of, and then the, the, the term friend zone didn't exist <laughs> when, pian- when the, the piano came out, but the concept has since been dissected. And, and so like you heard people in the, in the audience be like, Oh, like feeling bad for him. But it's that exact same pity that he undoubtedly feels for himself, which leads him to believe that it's perfectly okay for him to do what he eventually mm-hmm. does. Um, so I thought that was really that interesting. Really interesting. Um, and then, and of course, Holly Hunter and Anna Paquin are, are marvelous. You know, Holly Hunter is a very small person. Mm-hmm. I, I had the, uh, got the opportunity to meet her over the summer. Uh, just exchanged a few words and I felt like, I hope I don't trip <laughs> and destroy you because <laughs> if I fell, you would snap in half. Like she's, yeah. But she partially because of the costuming, but she just like just rises to the occasion. She can like just hold her own right there with like a very physically imposing Harvey Keitel. And I think that's a thing throughout her career that she's like such yeah. a spitfire that you kind of forget. Like, yeah. That like even in the big sick, that's a big part of like, yeah, she's a force of nature, even though she's the smallest person. in the movie. Yeah. There's something, yeah, there's something to, to be said for that. And Anna Paquin is actually as every bit as, as delightful as I thought she was going to be. I wasn't sure what to expect of her performance. And then when I, the moment she starts playing that character, I was just like, you know what? Like it's enough to, to get me <laughs> rethinking her as an actress in general of course she's marvelous in, in Margaret and that sort of thing. But, uh, mm-hmm. I feel like if she was able to tap into this so young and then win an Oscar for it, um, I think I need to look at like her performances between then and Margaret and just see what she might be doing. Cause I feel like she deserves another look from me. Um, mm. but yeah, overall, she's been was, one of my favorites for a long, long time. I never saw true blood. Is she good in true blood? Um, uh, yeah, I guess. Is know. anybody good in True Blood? <laughs> I don't know. They're, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Okay. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed the piano quite a bit. Uh, I'll say one thing about um, two things. One thing about Holly Hunter, or about we were talking off mic about um, the lack of or the, or the relative lack of surprises in the Oscar nominations. I was surprised. Mm-hmm. I guess I was pleasantly surprised that Leslie Manville got nominated, but it you know is in supporting actress. But it's kind of kind of seemed like it maybe came at the expense of Holly Hunter. Do you know what I mean? Like, who else do you think would have gotten it? Hong Chow. You think? Octavia Spencer and Leslie Manville were not a, uh, foregone conclusions. Hong Chow and Holly Hunter is who everybody kind of expected. Hmm. I don't know. Like, Holly in, Hunter in my, much in more, my personal certainly. sort of, like, point tallying or whatever, just, like, keeping sure. track of, like, who was getting attention, I think I kind of expected... Octavia Spencer over Hong Chow just because there just wasn't enough about downsizing in terms of it being talked about. Well, I definitely, I expected all three of them over Leslie Manville uh, having not seen the film, but just, I I, I was shocked that Phantom Thread in general got that much attention. Pleasantly surprised because I I love the movie, but yeah. um, Like the one thing it seems to be missing is like original screenplay and maybe lead actress, but she's, Vicky Creeps is not yeah. necessarily known, so I feel like you know there's not going to be a lot of Which is too attention bad. for her. Movie, but um, and the other thing I'll say about uh, Sam Neill is I've always been a fan of Sam Neill, but I, uh, Sam Neill, but I kind of feel like 
um, Hunt for the Wilder people, people maybe think like, oh, maybe we were just waiting for Sam Neill to become like old and grizzled. And maybe now he's like actually going to be in his prime. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but you know what? Now, like when I think back, I realize like, well, he was in, you know, Hunt, Hunt for Red October. Yeah. He was in, um, in the mouth of madness. Yeah. Like he was in event, event horizon. horizon. Like, he wasn't like he, I say he's like a soft spoken actor, but like he can, he can rise to that yeah. over the top character actor like, level, like the best of them. I'm like 95% sure I've told this story okay. on the podcast before. But my first Sundance, I went to the hunt for older people premiere and I'd stayed for the Q and a afterwards. And, and, and Taika Waititi brought up the cast and he introduced Sam Neill as from event horizon. <laughs> Sam Neill. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's, uh, uh right, now, so now it's, it's your, it's my, your time to shine. My, my, my one movie that I watched that wasn't a Sundance movie. Um, I also did rewatch Phantom Thread, but we'll, we'll talk about it again whenever you get around to it. Um, uh, the one movie I, I saw, which I know you saw cause you reviewed it for battleship uh, Koganada's Columbus. Oh, indeed. Okay. Uh, I thought it was terrific. I thought it was delightful. Yeah. Um, and it, because it both was and wasn't what I expected. I expected something that was beautiful mm-hmm. and slow. And it is both of these things. Yes. But it's also not, it's surprisingly not, uh, alien in its depiction of these. I think I, when, when I hear the, when I heard this about the setting, the idea that there's this Midwestern, uh, town essentially of Columbus, Indiana, yeah. that's a Mecca for modern art. This is a modern architecture. This is yeah. a real, a real thing. And that these things, these, scenes we playing out against the backdrops. I expected it to be almost disorienting. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, look how weird it is that like, you've got this, you know, uh, essentially teenage girl. I guess she's supposed to be in her maybe late teens, early twenties. Yeah. They never, I think he even says 19 or 20. We never find out. I don't think, <laughs> uh, anyway, so 19 or 20 and then a Korean American man, Technically a middle-aged man, but I don't think John Cho's character is supposed to be as old as he is. I don't think he's he's like 45. Yeah. I don't think he's ever played as old as he actually is. Yeah. I mean, he's looked 29 the entire time I've been aware of who he is. (laughs) Yes. Um, Anyway, um, like the idea of uh, like these two, this odd couple in a small Midwestern town, I expected it to be, I guess, weirder in a way. (laughs) And what I was really surprised by was how much Koganata has a feel for the Midwest. I don't know. I know he was born in Korea. I'm not sure where he hmm. grew up because I, I, yeah, um, I, I think he has lived in America. So I don't know. I don't know what his connection is to the Midwest, but it really felt, uh, it really felt in, in tune with its place as someone who comes from the Midwest. Hmm. Um, and I think the use of the architecture, um, he made it seem both remarkable and, familiar and part of the backdrop at the same time. And I think that it really speaks to how these two characters see the world, that they are of this world, but they see it in a different way. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, they see it in much the same way as each other, although not on, not on certain issues, but they feel, but they both feel like outsiders. And I, and I think as a, as someone growing who grew up in the Midwest and didn't feel like I saw the world the same way as most of the people around me, I found Hilly, uh, Hilly Lou Richardson's character, especially 
incredibly touching and relatable. She's great. Isn't she's she? fantastic. Yeah. I've been a fan of hers for a while. Um, I didn't see what was it, edge of 17. She was uh, in. Yes. She's in, she's one of the two Haley's yeah. is in that. And then she's but, in split as well, but uh, not a, yeah. Before that though, she was in a movie that I saw at the LA film festival. That wasn't a great movie. It's called the young Kieslowski. It has nothing to do with oh, that's, yeah. Kieslowski. That's just a clever title, I guess. Um, uh, and she's, uh, she plays a, uh, high school girl who gets, pregnant the young kieslowski is kind of like a high school or i guess maybe it's supposed to be college i can't remember it's a college age knocked up okay basically like a one night stand leads to a leads to a pregnancy but it's among very young people Mm -hmm. um and i thought so i've been uh she stuck out to me so much in that movie that i kind of been like keeping Mm -hmm. track you know uh of her career since then and yeah big thing i see big things for her because she's fantastic um parker posey's great too uh, parker posey yeah um yeah and uh uh, Rory, Car- Rory Culkin filling out that, uh, yeah, <laughs> that, the, the, the four legged table there and to just, use the yeah. Tom Sizemore analogy that I always use. Not going to fuck up, fuck up your table, Oliver. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Acting great all around. And, uh, I will say that, uh, so I've been, Although I should say five legged table cause Michelle Forbes is her mother and she's terrific. As she well. is great. Yeah. It is interesting. I, like, I feel like it'd be like this and lady bird is kind of a nice little one, two punch as far oh, yeah. as like that type of relationship this um, year. Sorry, I had more to say about Michelle Forbes, but uh, I don't know. Oh, um, I used to not be a Michelle Forbes fan, I think. Um, she's You probably don't know as much as I and her as much as I do because she's done a lot of TV. Okay, yes, probably. Um, and so, uh, I, but I wonder if maybe she was typecast because on like In Treatment and um, Battlestar Galactica, she was in both role she was kind of characterized as like not a very nice person mm-hmm. and i think i was like oh she just plays this this like you know cold type all the time you know um but uh that's very much not what she's doing in in columbus so uh the more i the more i see her and stuff the more that i've become a fan of michelle forbes yeah looking at her uh filmography here yeah i this might be the might actually be the first time I've ever seen her, um, although I've heard the name before. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just a a really a really ef- effective film in a way that I wasn't expecting. Honestly, I expected it to be a little lost in translationy, which it is a huh. bit. Um, but uh, I, I I purchased the uh, score, which mm. I think is is marvelous, and. Um, I'll say this. Uh, I fell asleep with it in my head last night. It's uh, understandable. It's very relaxing, very ethereal. Um, I was, uh, so my, at school right now, uh, I got a parking pass, but by the time I was in, uh, by the time I was allowed to have one, uh, all the spots in the garage that is, you know, a minute and a half walk from the film building, which is the only building I go to. Um, those were all full. So instead they put me in one that's about 22 minutes away, uh, as far as walking. And, um, and part of me was like, Hey, you know, I'm going to get some exercise. And it also gave me the opportunity to like, all right, this is my last quarter at an on an actual college campus, because as much as I love downtown Chicago, like Uh you and I kind of didn't have that experience a little bit at SMS. Um, 
but, uh, so it's like, all right, I'm, I have the opportunity to just walk across this really beautiful campus and I find myself listening to the Columbus score as I do it. And it really makes, oddly enough, it puts me in the mood to really love what I am seeing because it is a beautiful campus. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it is still pretty high up in my top 10 Columbus. Um, it's, uh, oh. I really, really loved it. Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. Um, are you going to tell me you don't remember Michelle Forbes from her one episode of Lost? <laughs> which, which episode? Uh, she's actually, I think she's, um, she, I can't, it's, it's spoilers for Lost from season four when they actually get rescued, when they actually go back, you know, back mm. to the mainland. She plays, I can't remember if she's supposed to be a government agent or an Oceanic Airlines representative, but she's oh, okay. the one who like is on the plane with them as they're being brought back to, to the U.S., uh, and then when they do the press conference, she's there. Anyway, I remember the press conference. I, I do not recall her. Probably a bad performance if I had to guess. Uh, <laughs> all right, next for me is Yorgos Lanthimos's "The Killing of a Sacred Deer." Oh yay! If you, I believe Josh and I said this uh, last week that if you think it's uh, not difficult uh, for me to uh, avoid saying Chinese bookie every time I say it. Uh, okay, so. I like this movie the more I think about it, by the way. I've seen it weeks ago now, and it keeps getting better in my mind. I love it. I love it so much. Um, and it's... Uh, I've not seen uh, Dogtooth, but I did love The Lobster. And there there are just so many little treasures in, in the film. Um, everything about it, the first half of it, everything is just so measured. Like, the shots, the dialogue is is like Hemingway. Like everything is just people saying exactly how they feel. They will not embellish, uh, or, or, uh, elaborate at all. Um, and everything just feels so very cold. But one of the things that I love is that, you know, this, this threat is introduced and the possibility of death is introduced into their, into this family. And, almost imperceptibly like you are here before you even realize that you are headed in that direction. Like the dialogue changes, like it's Mm -hmm. not this cold perfunctory thing anymore. It actually becomes a lot more human because the possibility of loss has humanized these people. Um, and I feel like I think it's still shot much the same, but it just, everything feels so much warmer and admittedly, darker, uh, mm-hmm. as the, as the film goes along, but, uh, it's a really interesting, like you would never think that like the, when you look at what the lobster is, and then when you look at what this film is, you would never think that the, the person behind it is actually a, a real humanist, like is really interested in relationships, like yeah. genuine love, uh, and compassion for, for one another. Like that's, a theme of his. And I'm, again, I've not seen dog tooth, dog tooth, but just between these two, that's definitely the vibe I get. And he just gets great performances out of everybody. Uh, he seems to have found a, a muse in, uh, Colin Farrell and maybe vice versa. Um, and, uh, BP yeah. nominee, Barry Keegan, however you say his name. Yeah. Uh, I think he's, he's marvelous. Like he's, um, he's yeah. terrifying and pathetic and all of these things and funny and funny. <laughs> that's the name of his, Really, uh, it's funny in a way the, that makes me feel bad. What's the the young son's name? Is it Bob? Bob. Uh, what does the sister say? Uh, Mom, Dad, Bob's dying. Yeah. <laughs> and the scene, the scene where she regains the use of her legs when she's on the uh-huh. phone with uh, with the the kid whose name I've forgotten now, Barry uh, Keegan's character. Um, 
And, uh, and then Bob is, is like, I, I want to get up and go to the window too. And just falls, <laughs> just falls right down. And oh, of course it's, Bob. it's so sad, Yeah, but I did laugh <laughs> yeah. pretty hard. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a really marvelous film, not an easy film to watch, but I did like it a lot. Did it make you hungry for spaghetti? But like it's 6am. Sure. Uh, <laughs> okay. Oh, also, um, Alicia Silverstone, right? Great. Yeah. Yeah. Good for her. If I had seen the film before I, uh, had sent in my submissions for oh. the BB, she's definitely a, a McGill, uh, possibility that's, for those who don't follow along. That's the BP award for best performance under 15 minutes of screen time. The Bruce McGill award for the Bruce McGill and the insider award for best performance under 15 minutes. Okay. <laughs> you named it. I know. Well, at first it was best cameo. <laughs> that's what it, it was. Two oh, words. That's right. And yeah. then it was the Bruce McGill award. Then there's the Bruce McGill award for best performance under 15 minutes. And then people are like, well, he's not, he's in movies longer than that. I was like, all right, well it was, it was his performance in the insider that inspired it. So I guess that's what it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next up for me, I finally at long last caught up with Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. Oh, good. And you watched it as Christopher Nolan would want you to watch it, right? Like on your computer at five o'clock in the morning. No, I, uh, <laughs> you know, I rented it like on my phone <laughs> and watched it, uh, like on the bus. <laughs> no, it's, uh, I, you know what? Anticipate like recognizing that undoubtedly now that it's been nominated, it's going to pop back up in theaters. Uh, and when it does, I think I might actually see it again because it is a wonderful film yeah. to see in that way. Um, but I also recognize cause like, you know, I have friends that have a screener of it. And I was like, if I'm going to watch it at home, I'm not going to watch it on DVD <laughs> and I'm not going to watch it with little words that pop up every once in a while that say for your consideration. So I actually rented it on Blu-ray because okay. that's at least, that's the least I can do at this point. Um, and it is great in a lot of ways. Um, and, or, okay. I loved it in a lot of ways and the ways in which I did not necessarily love it I don't think are the fault of the film. I think they have to do with who I am as a, as a movie watcher. Um, I think his, his, the way he plays with time, I had heard about it beforehand and now that I've seen it, I, I get it and it's actually done surprisingly straightforward and yet so you know exactly what he's doing. It's never confusing, mm-hmm. but you never forget the time thing. Like you, you never right. forget that. And I feel like that is an editorial achievement, certainly. And, and a screenwriting achievement, being able to keep all of that track, uh, keep all of that straight just in his own head as he's writing it. Um, I did feel, you know, I felt at a distance from what was going on. I felt like I couldn't really relate to, the characters, I mean, first off, I can't relate to them mm-hmm. uh, because of what they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. But also, I think that might be, I think that's probably by design. Like, there's a reason that he doesn't really give characters names. Um, I think it's more just, here's these soldiers and they could be anybody. Um, yeah. As this is the thing to, with every war movie ever, though, is that it's like a bunch of guys who are all the same age and have the same haircut and we're all wearing the same outfit. Yeah. It's always tough to and, and this thing, distinguish like, them. Oh, well, here's how we can do it. Let's just have each one be a, a huge archetype. Like, well, I don't like that either. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, I think I would prefer this, but I also feel like it reminded me in in many ways of black Hawk down, which is just like really invigorating in a lot of ways, but I don't really connect with any specific character. Maybe Mark Rylance's character. Um, 
And, and Tom Hardy, I'd say a fair amount as well. For a second, I was like, who was Mark Rylance in Black Hawk, Black Hawk Down? Oh, yeah. He was uh, Eric he, Bana. Yeah, I was um, going to say Hugh <laughs> McGregor. We went the same general uh, way there. So, um, and I thought Tom Hardy was, was really effective as well mm-hmm. um, in the film. So it's, I was very happy that I saw it. I think it's, uh, I think it, it, I'm not sure if I would say it's, it's Christopher Nolan's best film, but it's definitely him just, you know, uh, firing on all cylinders uh and i'd it's a just a really really solid film i will say it's his best it's my favorite christopher nolan movie i like the prestige more than you do um Most and i people do and it. i do like i do like batman begins and uh i also like insomnia like i do like a lot of his movies I th- but i think i think i probably like those movies more than dunkirk because of who I am and what I like. I tend to like character stuff more and right. Dunkirk is not the movie for that. I think my top three goes Dunkirk insomnia, the dark Knight. Okay. But maybe memento above the dark Knight. I go back and forth on memento. Sometimes if I'm in the mood, I get caught up in it. Other times I'm like, oh, get over yourself. <laughs> Isn't it weird? I go back. I, I ping pong back and forth on that movie. Like I'll watch it and be like, boy, this is f- clunky as hell. Uh-huh. And then the next time it's like, yeah, but look at the spectacle. <laughs> yeah. So fun. Um, Dead Last, what is it for you, for his films? Uh, it's probably um, it's probably Inception, <laughs> to be honest. I really don't like Inception. I think it's um, probably Dark Knight Rises for me. Dark Knight Rises is definitely close. It's close. Um, but I is do the one think... I'm missing? What was his... Uh, is Dunker... What was his last movie? Interstellar. Oh, Interstellar. That's... I like that, that a lot more than I thought I was going to. That's on the back half for me. Sure. But, uh, yeah, Inception is probably my least favorite, but I really, really don't like yeah. Dark Knight Rises either. Matthew McConaughey. I, I don't like yeah. Batman Begins nearly as much as you. Right. It's a, it feels like it's a million years long to me. Hmm. Um, I mean, not, not like Dark Knight Rises long. Dark Knight Rises feels like it's still going on. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Batman Begins to, it just is weirdly structured. Anyway. I, I do think this is something I definitely got as I was, as I watched Dunkirk is like, I do think that he is growing as a filmmaker. I think he is, I think he's learning every time he makes a movie. I feel like he's somebody who could have, and with inception, I think I, I thought he did. There's like, all right, he has settled into what he's going to do and he's just going to do that for the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, but with this, like a, his, his realization, like this doesn't need to be any longer than, than it needs to be. Like, I know that's, it's a joke you and I make a lot, but that's important to not overstay your welcome. Um, yeah. Well, I think the thing, uh, you know, I know what I've said on Twitter and on the podcast before, which is that when I'm talking shit about Christian Nolan, the thing I've often said is that he's James Cameron, but he thinks he's Stanley Kubrick, Yeah. which is, you know, glib and dismissive, but, uh, you know, pithy or whatever. Yeah. But Dunkirk actually finds the balance. Dunkirk is actually so. like the, he he's become i think the art art house maestro with the heart of gold that i think he's wanted to be um because i think dunkirk is um i think it's his artsiest movie it's his most yeah. cerebral um exercise oh i'm sure but, inception fans would take issue with that no, but you're inception correct fan is, inception is a dumb movie that thinks it's smart yes um, but uh but it also might be Dunkirk might be the most 
emotional movie for me of Christopher Nolan's career, which I think isn't saying much because I don't tend to tap into his films emotionally very much. Sure. Um, so maybe just by virtue of elimination, it's the most emotional film for me. Interstellar has a, a fair amount of emotion for me. Matthew McConaughey does some really good work yeah, in that. Yeah. Um, but uh, young, young Timothy Chalamet. Really? Who is he? Uh, he's the young, uh, the young Casey Affleck. Oh, I guess that was long. I guess Timothy Chalamet is young enough that he would be the young Casey Affleck. Like yeah. Now he just seems, although Casey Affleck always still seems very young to me. Yeah. But um, you should look at Timothy Chalamet's like IMDb. Like he, this, this kid has been in like nothing but good stuff wow. <laughs> from the beginning. He keeps like just. He uh, just, he know. just knows. Yeah, I guess so. He just gravitates towards these, these great projects. Um, but, uh, let me, let me throw this out at you. And this is, uh, I, am not necessarily going to say that Dunkirk is this, but I was put in mind of it. Um, the combination of Stanley Kubrick and James Cameron is to me, David Lean. Hmm. And Dunkirk reminded me, certainly, I mean, it's, it's a lot more, it's a lot faster moving, but it reminded me of David Lane. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, certainly yeah. emotionally where there's, uh, there's enough there to, to grab onto, but he's not going to overplay it. Um, but, uh, like, can't you, can't you imagine Alec Guinness being in Dunkirk? Sure. Yeah. Like he could be Mark Rylance's character. Yeah. Um, uh, or or Kenneth Branagh's character. So, okay. Last is a rewatch, a film I absolutely adore. Uh-huh. Jen was watching it last night, and I joined her. And it is Sydney Sydney Pollock's Tootsie. When's the last time you saw Tootsie? Oh, it's been fifteen years. It is so wonderful, and it shouldn't work uh-huh. <laughs> on really any level. Like it's just in some ways it's oddly over the top. And yet it doesn't bother me. And I think, and I watched, uh, I got the the criterion of it. Like I think last Christmas and I was watching this hour long retrospective, uh, and it was made like 10 years ago. So Sidney Pollack's still alive. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, these other, other people as well. And, um, and just the amount of blood, sweat and tears that went into that movie and Sidney Pollack, I think one of the reasons that it does work as well as it does is that he does not consider himself a comedic director. Mm-hmm. So he's like, all right, I'm, he goes, I just want to be truthful. So we're just going to find the truth even in the midst of ridiculous scenes. And he even says something fascinating where he just goes, but there's also a way to intellectualize comedy. And he mentions that, that line where, uh, one of the directors on the, on the, uh, soap opera is saying like, saying like, okay, like, we need to make, you know, uh, Dorothy, we need to make her look attractive. Like how, like how far do you, can you pull back in order to make her look attractive? And then it cuts to the cameraman goes, how do you feel about Cleveland? <laughs> and then it, so then it cuts back to Sidney Pollock. He goes, he goes, Cleveland, like you got to get that K in there. <laughs> like that, that K sound <laughs> right, in there yeah. because it's funny. He goes, you can't have too many. So like he's dissecting that Cleveland yeah. was the best possible, uh, city for that. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, Schenectady uh, would have been laid in on a little right. bit, right? <laughs> or, uh, can <Kankakee. laughs> Um, but, uh, so just like that type of intellectualizing and then Dustin Hoffman gets like emotional when he talks about it. Um, and like the stuff that he learned as a, as an actor playing an actor, doing this like it's it's really and then and jessica like it's just it works on 
so many levels and uh, emotionally and it makes me laugh and I've completely forget. I always forget the Bill Murray's in it. Oh, but he's got the best line. He's got the best line. What is it? That, that, that is, is one, one nutty hospital. Nutty. I always forget which adjective he uses. Yeah. Why oh. isn't that? Not, why is that not one of the most popular like uh, reaction gifts <laughs> on, on Twitter? That's I'm going to start using that as one nutty hospital as a reaction gift. Or you could just say like, you know, uh, you could be, that is one nutty and then just fit in right. whatever that is one nutty white house or something like that. <laughs> um, and it's just, and I don't know when I would have cause though. <laughs> well, he's maybe in 2020. Um, but, uh, and it's interesting the, the, the story that, uh, because they'd been Dustin Hoffman and Larry Gelbert, uh, Gelbart and, and Sidney Pollack had been working on this project yeah. for like years. And then they're like, the script's not quite there yet. We need a female perspective. Let's get Elaine may who's like uncredited. She created, uh, Terry Garr's part. Mm-hmm. She created Bill Murray's part. And Dustin Hoffman said like, he goes, my character's 39 years old. He's not going to have like a male roommate. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to try and live alone as much, you know, it's not. Gonna, and so then Dustin Hoffman's like, okay, well, I'm not going to argue with Elaine May. She seems to think <laughs> he's necessary. So it's like, so, okay, well, it need to be somebody that I would, I personally would want to live with. And then he meets Bill Murray at a party. He goes, uh-huh. I, I'd live with him. <laughs> and so it's just, so the, the, the special features actually helped me a lot, but, uh, but I still love the film. I think it's one of the best comedies ever. And, uh, so listeners, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It is a, a marvel of, of performance.